what do you want? It's a question we've been going after together, asking that question. And really, I think it's the question that God's asking of us. Do you, do you really want me? Because if you want me, you can have as much of me as you want. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of desire. What do we want? And I tell you that one of the fringe benefits of going after the heart of God, of going, going hard after him, one of the benefits is as you seek after him, you discover who you are. I remember back in my college years, Yes, I can remember that long ago. I remember back in that season, and I remember asking that question, who am I? Like, who am I really? I mean, I put on this mask for coaches and this mask for my parents and this mask for other people and friends, and then I get off to college, and then I begin to ask a question of, who am I really? What is my authentic self? That was even the reason that I packed up my bags and I went and I backpacked Europe after I graduated college and did the URL thing and hit 28 days, as many countries as I could, like a different country every day and got over there and got to experience all that. But really, I, what I said is I'm going over there to find myself. And I wanted to discover who I am. And I think it's a question that we're all wondering is what is the truth about us? And so I want to talk about the truth about you. I want to talk about discovering who you are. Um, and to get there, I want us to visualize, I want us to think about a mirror. How many, how many of you have a mirror on you right now? Just, just lift up your hands. If you have a mirror on you, anybody have a mirror? There's a, okay, no guys raise their hand. Guys don't carry mirrors. Like, a, a lady might carry a mirror, but guys don't carry, you know why? Because when a guy looks in a mirror in the morning, that's as good as it gets. <laughs> like, it's not changing. Now, when a, when, a, when a lady, when a woman looks in a mirror in the morning, like, she's got options. That's when she pulls out her toolbox and she goes to work. I mean, she's like, and, and, and the truth about a mirror is that it reveals the truth about you. When you look in the mirror, you see what's going on. I mean, it reveals every, every blemish, every pimple. It, re it reveals every uh, gray hair, every hair, hair that's gone. I mean, it reveals every unibrow. That's going to be revealed in a, in a mirror. The mirror reveals the truth about you. But there are things about mirrors that, can't be, that, that mirrors can't reveal. There are things about us that mirrors can't show up. And what we call those, we call those blind spots. You realize you have blind spots. It's what other people talk about when you're not around. We all have blind spots in our, in our lives. Have you ever had a moment where you realized, oh my, that's a blind spot. I, I had no idea I did that. I was... Uh, I did schoolwork in a program, and the person leading the program was a guy named Erwin McManus. Erwin McManus, pastor of a church, Mosaic in California, author, and I'd read like all of his books, and, and I heard he was coming to town, and so I emailed his secretary, and I said, hey, can I drive him around while he's in town? Like, he's my favorite author, kind of my ministry here. If pastors had jerseys, I would have one of his jerseys. I mean, I was thinking, this would be great. I'll get some hang time with him and get to ask him some questions. He gets in the, uh, he gets in the car, and I um, pick him up. And we're driving to the conference, and I'm just, just talking to him. And I just talk, and I get home that night, and I lay down in my bed, and my wife said, how'd it go? I said, well, it went great. She said, did you learn a lot? And then it hit me. I was like, oh, my. I, I didn't ask any questions. And then I started replaying the deal, and I realized I talked the entire time. Like I was nervous, my palms are sweaty, I wanted to impress him, and I was talking the entire time. I didn't realize it until I'm laying there, and I was like, I can't, and I was just humiliated. I was like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, well, at least be self-aware. Like, just go back when you see him tomorrow and tell him, apologize that you, that you talk. And I was like, Rhea, I talk like 75% of the time. 
She would just apologize. And so I go and I pick him up and I say, first off, Erwin, I just want to apologize because I realize that I talked like 75% of the time yesterday. And he goes, no, you didn't. I was like, I didn't? He was like, no, you talk 95% of the time. <laughs> and when we, when, we, when we talk all the time or when we're like people who are close talkers, it's a blind spot. Or people who are name droppers, it's a blind spot. When people do those things, it's something that they can't see about themselves. And we all have blind spots in our lives. And the truth about you is that you don't know the truth about you. Like, you don't know the truth. Well, how do you know the truth about you? How do I know the truth about me? How, how do we come to this self-discovery of, of who we are? How do I, we see ourselves in that way? I want us to look at Psalm 139 in the Scriptures. Great passage. And before we talk about the truth about you, we're going to reflect on three major truths about God. I'm going to read, picking up in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 6. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before the word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. If you're jotting notes and you're taking down things, first thing I want you to see is that God knows you. God knows you. He knows the truth about you. He knows everything about you. He knows every habit. He knows every hang-up. He knows every dream. He knows every desire. He knows every fear. He knows every frustration. God knows everything about you. He knows you inside Now He knows you better than you know yourself. Jesus said, even the very hairs on your head are numbered by God. Now, if a guy notices that his, in our culture, if a guy notices that his girlfriend got a haircut, that's a sign of love. If a guy doesn't notice that his girlfriend got a haircut, that's a sign he needs to buy flowers. That's what that is. So, and what Jesus wants us to know is that God notices. He notices everything about us. He, he, he says, God has numbered every hair. He wants you to know that when a hair falls out, God notices. It doesn't say that he replaces it. It just says that he, he notices that about you. God is infinitely aware of the smallest details of your life. God notices everything, and he knows everything about you. He knows the thoughts that go through your mind. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you, and you're thinking, well, there are some thoughts I'd rather God not know. God knows every thought, but you're safe and you're secure because the one who knows you the best loves you the most. The person in the universe who knows you the best, loves you the most, and he pursues you with that love. He gives that love to you. He tells us in this, he says, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. You hem me in. That's his protection over your life. You lay your hand upon me. That's, that's the ancient art of, that the father would do of the blessing of the child, where a father would extend his hand to his child, and he'd say, I bless you. Reminds me of when I was 22, and I knew that God had called me to be a pastor. But my dad had a family business, and we had already had conversation. I'd gone to college and got a business degree, marketing and business, advertising, to, to one day lead the company. We were going to go that track. And I knew on my first business trip out in, out in L.A., I was in a hotel room, and I was just broken because I, I felt like I was living somebody else's movie. Like I was in somebody else's. This is not my life. I'm supposed to be a pastor. And I went back home, and the hardest conversation that I had was going into my dad's office and saying, Dad, I need to talk with you. And I sat down that day and I said, Dad, 
I believe that God's called me to be a pastor. And he got up from where he was sitting and he walked around the desk and he came over and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, I bless you. It's a defining moment in my life. That blessing, which, and I don't know what kind of blessing you have or haven't received from your earthly father, but you just need to know from your heavenly father that his hand of blessing is upon you and that he loves you and that he's proud of you. Father said to his son, Jesus, when he was being baptized, he said, you're my beloved son with him, I'm well pleased. What had Jesus done before he received the father's approval? That was before his ministry, before he'd done anything. No great miracles, no great teaching. Father just said, I give you my blessing and my approval. And if you're in Christ, God blesses you and he is proud of you for who you are in Christ. Not for what you've done. Some of us are doing performance trying to get the Father's blessing. You just need to know he's the kind of father that gives the hug before you take the field. That's the kind of father he is. David said, your blessing is upon me. Your hand is upon me. I've got your protection. David keeps on going. Second truth you need to know is that God pursues you. Look at verse 7 through 10. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. I rise on the wings, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I sail on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. David looks up. He looks down. He looks left. He looks right. He looks all over the place, and he's going, I can't get away from your presence. God, I can't escape your presence. Listen, you may be able to ignore the presence of God, but you can't escape the presence of God. You can't get away from, you can't get away from him. And you may go days without thinking about God, but there hasn't, you may go months, maybe even years, but there's not a moment that has passed that God hasn't been thinking about you. God pursues you. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says, I've come. He gives his mission statement. He said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. That's why I've come, seeking and saving that which is lost. And Jesus is an all-out rescue mission for those who have wandered away from God. And you know, even as Christians, sometimes we can lose our way. We can wander off. And you know that when you wander, he pursues you. And he doesn't pursue you to punish you because Jesus already took your punishment. He doesn't pursue you to condemn you because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't pursue you to whip you into shape. Now, he may discipline you, but he disciplines those that he loves. He disciplines us to, to form Christ in us. But God pursues us. I mean, sometimes we run from the pursuit of God. One time I was, when I was working with my dad, I was driving down the road and I see this car in front of me and there's this lady in this car and she's got a fire underneath her car. Like there's a fire, there's a bag that's on fire. And I pull up to the light and I jump out of my car and I run up to her car and I start knocking on the window. And she's looking at me and she's scared because she doesn't know. I'm just some strange guy and this is down in Atlanta and I'm knocking on the window and she takes off. So I get in my car and I chase her down to the next light and I get out and I go knock on her window again. Finally, she rolls down my window. There's a fire under your car. She jumps out of the car. She goes back and sure enough, there's a bag on fire underneath the car. And she starts freaking out. And she goes, get a stick, get a stick. And I'm like on, I am in Atlanta. I'm on a major road. And I'm like, there, there are no sticks. Like we're in the city. I look over to the edge of the road and there is a stick. I go over and I walk, grab the stick. And I run back like Moses. I'm running back and I'm hitting this bag. I mean, it's like a flaming pinata. I am hitting this thing and hit it out from underneath the car. 
she looks and she gets, gets back in her car and she just drives off. And I'm like, she was pretty confused about why I was pursuing her. But I wanted to save her. I wanted to help her. And when Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock on the heart, he's talking to the church. He's talking about those who are followers, who have distanced ourselves, who have wandered, who have lost our way. And Jesus said, I'm knocking because I want to restore fellowship with you. He continues to pursue us. So he knows us. He pursues us. And then number three, God has a plan for you. Now we see it on signs and we hear that and that's, we love the verses that talk about that. But it's true. God has a plan for you. Look at verse 13. I've heard this described as the things, this is the reminder of the things that we forgot when we came through the birth canal. For you created my inmost beings, being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame is not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Even when you were in the womb, God was thinking about you. And he had this dream. He had this thought. He, in, his, in the divine imagination, he had this dream of who you would be and who you would become. You were born an original. Don't die a Xerox copy of somebody else. This is why it's a, it's a tragedy when we live our lives trying to standardize our lives by, the, by trying to be like other people. And, and, and the beauty of, of, of holiness and the beauty of following Jesus is that it's his character through your personality. Holiness is not becoming like everybody else. It's following Jesus in a way where his character shines like the light through those stained glass. It shines through your personality, through your uniqueness. And he has a plan for you and he has a dream for you. And Rick Warren writes, while, we were, while there are illegitimate parents, there are no illegitimate children. He says, many children are unplanned by their parents, but they're not unplanned by God. I love that. One time I was speaking in a youth group and a girl came up afterwards, and she was weeping. I said, what's the matter? And she said, um, she said, ever since I was born, my parents have told me that I was an accident. She would tell me how I resulted in cutting and how she was in a depressed place. And I just felt like the Lord gave me a word for her. And I said, you know what? You're not an accident. I said, God wanted you here so bad, he had to sneak you in. God has a plan for you. And then we go, in these years, we're like, well, what is it? <laughs> God, if you got a plan, why don't, you get, why don't you send a clue? Why don't you give me a message? What is your will for my life? That's the question that we're asking. God, what's your will for my life? And I understand what you, and we often ask that question. We've got a major decision to make, trying to pick a major, trying to pick a career path. We're trying to, trying to pick a spouse. We're trying to pick a, where we're going to move, what residency we're going to take. God, what's your will for my life? Which I get where you're going, and I understand the question. It's a, it, it, I understand the question, but, but it's not a great question. Because what the question says is that, that God, it's my life. <laughs> God, it's my life. God, what is your will for my life? I think a better question is, God, what is your will? And then how can I take my life and throw it after that? How can I take this little five-second vapor of a light and throw it after your glorious will, the will that you have? Yes, God has a plan for you, but you find what God has for you, after you, after you as you pursue his will. And you take your future and your resources and you take, you take your dreams and your plans and you put that all before him. 
And you seek first the kingdom of God, and these things are added unto you. And as you seek God, that's where you find the desires of your heart. He says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. But we find that in seeking after him. It's not my life. Go hard after him, and he'll reveal those things to you. Um, I want us to look at John chapter 4. We're going to take these three truths about God and look at them through Jesus. John chapter 4. It'll be the story of the woman at the well. Um, I want to look at this through, through Jesus because some of you are studying theology and you're theology majors. That's great. But if you want perfect theology, if you want to see perfect theology, see what perfect theology looks like, look at Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, this is what perfect theology looks like. John chapter 4, see these three, these three truths pulled together. Um, this is the longest conversation in Scripture. Longest conversation is Jesus is going with his disciples, and they're going through Samaria, and they come across this town, and they come to this well, and it's the middle of the day. And the disciple, Peter's getting hangry, like some of you right now. And Peter, and Jesus just sends Peter, and he's like, why don't you just go off and get it? Just you take the boys, you guys go and get a sandwich. And so they go off to get lunch. Leaves Jesus at the well, and it's the middle of the day, and there's a woman there getting water at the middle of the day, which is really weird because most of the time it's strange because most of the time women would come and get water at the beginning of the day, when the cool of the day, but here she is in the heat of the day when nobody, so obviously she doesn't want anybody else to see her. And she comes there, and she sees Jesus there, and Jesus starts up a conversation. If you'll remember, Jesus just starts a conversation, which she thinks is pretty weird because, you know, the fact that he's talking to a woman, and then number two, that he's talking to a Samaritan, and he's a Jew. And Jesus asks her for some water. He's like, can you get me some water? And she, she's thinking, well, you come to the well and don't have any water, well, I guess. But. And they start this conversation about water. And really, it goes deeper than water. It goes to the fact that, that she is thirsty in her soul, and only he has living water that can satisfy. And then, then he starts, turns the conversation and starts talking about her soul. And then he tells, he tells her, why don't you go and ask your husband? And she said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, that's right, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with right now is not your husband. And it gets a little uncomfortable for her, and she changes the subject. And she starts talking about prophets and worship, and she changes the subject on Jesus. But then he takes the conversation back to how he wants to give her living water, how he's the Messiah. And she encounters him that day, and it changes her life, radically changes her life. And it turns the town, turns the city upside down as well. And so what I want to do is I want to go back to that story and I want to layer those three truths in with you. I want to show you these three truths from John chapter 4. The first one is that God pursues you. She found that God pursued her. John chapter 4, 4 says now he had to go through Samaria. What's interesting about this is that he did not have to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, there were paths all the way around Samaria where Jews didn't go through Samaria. But Jesus had to go to Samaria. He was compelled to go through Samaria. It wasn't something that he just did. It was something that he, that he must, did, must do. And there was all kind of racial tension there. But Jesus went, went to that well because he had a divine appointment. He was on a mission, an all-out rescue mission to seek and save that which is lost. God knows you. John 4, 28 says, Then after leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. See, oftentimes what keeps us from experiencing true relationships is because we fear, you know what, if they knew the truth about me, they wouldn't love me. 
If I really told him what I was feeling, then he, he wouldn't be my friend. If I, was, if I was true to what's going on in here, she would no longer accept me. And so we, we pull back from experiencing true community, true relationships, because we're afraid of that. And what she found in Jesus is that he knew everything about what she had done. He knew all of the details, and he loved her fully. And some of, some of us, we resist, and we even wonder, will God love me? Well, God knows everything. He knows you the best, and he loves you the most. And Jesus, she has an encounter with Jesus where she had never experienced such love like that. She never received such love like that. And here's what she had to do. She had to go tell somebody. And I love this detail. She leaves the water jar. It's almost like, that's old water. I've got good, I've got the new water. And she goes off to tell folks, but she left her water jar also to say, I'm coming back. And so she leaves and she's on a mission. She goes and she tells people, and this leads to the plan. God has a plan. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We're no long, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. We've now heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the savior of the world. What I love about this, God had a plan for that woman. Do you know that she became the first Christian missionary? The first Christian missionary was a woman who had been married five times, divorced five times. And Jesus takes her, and he said, I've got a plan for you. And she becomes the very first missionary, and she wins an entire town to him. Listen, some of you aren't Christian ministry majors, but God has a plan for you to, to impact souls, to change lives for eternity. God has a plan for you. And listen, she didn't have a degree. She didn't have a clean track record. She didn't even have a Bible. She just had a three-word sermon. Come and see. And God used that woman to impact a town. God used that woman to turn the place upside down. God had a plan for her. And Jesus knows you. He pursues you. He has a plan for you. So how do you discover it? Well, I want to give, I want to give you a prayer that will help you with this. It's a prayer that I pray daily. I call it a dangerous prayer because it's, uh, it's not easy. In fact, I've, I've learned more about myself from praying this prayer than I did packing up my bags and going to Europe and backpacking. And it's something you can begin now to discover who you are and who God's created you to be. It's found in Psalm 139. It's verse 23 and 24. Let me share it with you. David prays, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to break that prayer into three parts. The first one is search me. In the morning, what I do is I go sit out on the porch. And I spend that time in reflection. And I pray that prayer. I say, God, um, would you help me? Would you help Holy Spirit? Would my defenses be down? God, would you, would you search my heart? And then what I do is I go through kind of game film. I grew up in a football family, and I just kind of go through game film from the day before, and I just go through all the details of the day, and I just run through it in my mind. And I do something called first and ten. I make a list of ten things. I do this every day. Make a list of ten things that I'm grateful for. Ten things that I'm thankful for, and I just write those out. Yeah, thank you for this. Thank you. And what I found is that gratitude swells up in my heart, and that's how I fight entitlement, as I come up with that, that list of ten things every single day. Give thanks to God. 
And then what happens after those 10 things, I go through the details of the day and, uh, and the Holy Spirit, I say, God, would you search my heart? And he starts pointing out stuff that, hey, I want to form Christ here. I want to make you more like Jesus here. And so I confess those things to him. Sometimes he'll put his finger on something like, you know what? You were a little defensive in that meeting. Or, you know what? You, you got this competitive spirit thing going on that's kind of taking out some relationships. Or, you know what? You, you hurried through bedtime and you, uh, you can't love in a hurry can't do anything of value in a hurry and so it's in those times that God in his kind and listen it's his kindness that leads us to repentance and if you're if you're not spending time in reflection before the Holy Spirit before the one who loves you the most but knows you the best if you're not asking him to point out these things in your life listen you can't change what you can't see and there are things about you that other people see, and they're just, not, they're just not telling you. There are things about you that other people can't see, but that God wants to speak into you, which will affect your future more than the degree that you have. It will affect your future more than your GPA. Because what matters more than where you go to grad school is who you are in your character. And God wants to tell you the truth about you. And he reveals it at the pace that we can handle it. And he doesn't just leave you with that. He says, I want to give my power for that. God wants to help you break through. You can trust him. So the first prayer is search me. And then after I go through that with God, then I pray a prayer called test me. God, would you, would you test me? And I want to... I kind of tease this out a little bit and, and talk about the testing because uh, because God knows your heart, he knows how to engineer circumstances in your life to reveal what's going on in your heart to you. And so I want to talk about the difference between, and I wish I had time, I'd do a whole message on this, difference between temptations and trials and tests. See, temptations are from who? Satan, the evil one. And he tempts us to ruin our lives. He wants to ruin our, he wants to destroy. So a temptation to lie, to cheat, to steal, to lust, to be self-centered, pride. All of these are to ruin our life. That's temptation. The second is trials. Trials come from God. And God uses trials in our lives to refine our faith. He refines us through our trials. When I was down in Atlanta on date night with my wife the other night, and, uh, and we, I accidentally I gave her a bite of my uh, taco, and uh, I didn't know that there was a habanero pepper in there. And um, it didn't go real well. It didn't go real well, and I took a bite. I didn't know before she told me. And so we both we were just we were melting down. And then we get out to our car, and there's a boot on our car. And, uh, and it, like where they had locked down our car because we were illegally parked, which we weren't illegally parked, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. And, but that's, that, was, that was a trial. You lose your keys, that's a trial. We go through those trials in our lives and God uses trials to refine our faith. God will engineer circumstances in our lives to, to refine our faith because our faith matters that much to him. But then the third would be tests. Who do tests come from? God. God tests us in our life because he wants to reveal what's in our hearts. Listen, God doesn't test us to see what we'll do. He already knows what you're going to do. Oftentimes, God will give us a test to see, are we going to choose what's good or choose what's best? 
Are we going to trust him? And God tests us in our life to see, will you trust me? He wants to show us what's in our heart. And have you ever noticed that sometimes when God is testing you, it seems like he is silent? But haven't your teachers always been silent when it's test time? But here's the good news. All of his tests are open book. He gives you his word to God, to guide us through the test. You're not alone. But God tests us to reveal what's in our heart. And the last part of that prayer is lead me. Lead me into the way. Is what David says. Lead me in the way everlasting. He's saying, God, I have hopes for my life and I have dreams for my life and I have things I want to accomplish, things I want to do and things I want to become. And even the uncertainty of the future, God, I place before you and I say, would you lead me, God? Would you lead me so that my life would matter for eternity? Hmm. It may mess up your plans. It may mess up your secure future. For me to pray lead, lead me prayer, it meant that I laid down a lucrative career in the family business and all that went along with that and the company perks and all the stuff to go and take a pretty significant financial haircut and take a job as a youth pastor in church. But it occurred to me as I was preparing for this that, you know what, if I hadn't prayed that lead me prayer in 2000, I wouldn't be sitting right here with you right now. Lead me prayer is a, is a dangerous prayer. But listen, I think it's more dangerous for you not to pray it. When you don't pray it, it's, it's, it's what you miss out on. It's the lives changed that you don't see. It's the big prayers that you never pray. It's the miracles that you don't see. It's the breakthrough that never happens. It's the battles that you don't fight. It's the relationships that you don't form. It's the joy that you, that you don't have. It's the tears that you don't weep. I mean, don't you think that the one who made you, who put you together in the womb, don't you think that he has a better future for you than anything you could dream of or you could imagine or you could come up with on your own? This life, it soon will pass. And only what's done for Christ will last. I want a life that when I take my last breath and I take that next breath in eternity and I'm standing before him and I can look back on my days and I can say, I have prayed a lead me prayer every step of the way. So I can look back on my life and go, you know, it made a mark for the kingdom, a mark that mattered. I want to get to the end of my life and realize, you know what? I didn't just go through life ankle deep spiritually. I want to go to the depths with God. And God's calling us out of places where we've been, we've been shallow, we've been trying to figure it out on our own, and he's calling us to places, calling people who'd be courageous enough to pray a dangerous prayer. Say, Holy Spirit, would you search me? Would you test me? And would you lead me? And so I want to lead you in that prayer right now. Would you bow your heads with me, your hearts before God? And I want to do something of a, of a guided prayer. I want to walk you through these, 
these three prayers on the heart of David. And so, Father, you know us. You know us fully. I pray right now for those who would ask, Holy Spirit, would you search hearts? So we're going to create some space. Would you just, if that's your heart, if you want God to search you, would you just whisper that prayer to him? Search me. If he reveals something, confess it and receive his forgiveness. It's free. And go and walk in it. Leave it behind. He cast it as far as the east is from the west. He chooses to remember it no more. Leave it in the sea of his forgetfulness. Or test me. If you're courageous. It's a courageous prayer. Maybe even right now you're experiencing some trials and some tests. God has engineered circumstances to reveal your heart and it's time to dignify the trial. Maybe turn that and ask God, God, would you form Christ in me through this? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's with a professor. Maybe with some friends. Maybe with people at work. God, dignify the trial. Make me more like Jesus. And then last, lead me. Maybe you got a major decision to pray. Major decision to pray through. God, I need your wisdom. God, I'll do what you want. And oftentimes God wants surrender before he gives revelation. Will you surrender to me whatever I ask you to do? And so God, I thank you because of lead me prayers that are being prayed. God, that you will do more than what we could ask or imagine or ever dream of. So would you search us? Would you test us? And would you lead us so that we could be dangerous people, dangerous for the kingdom? God, so that we would know you and in turn know ourselves so that we could be who you've created and who you dream for us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.